Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Of Dragons, Feasts, and Murders by Aliette de Bedard, A Marvelous Light by Freya Mask, and the fanfic If Life Was a Movie, We'd Have a Better Soundtrack Than This by Galaxy Soup. And welcome to episode 99, Detective Boyfriends. I'm Alex, and I'm Robin Blythe. I'm Freya, and I'm Harriet Vane. I'm Macy, and I am the incomparable Joan Watson. I like that for you. Yeah, me too. I, I aspire. I aspire. Yeah. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we are doing our last episode that requires homework, dear listeners. Oh my god, Freedom. we don't have to read assign Freedom. things anymore. How weird is that? I haven't made you read a 300,000 word fic since like the 20s, but now I can never do so again. I know. <laughs> even, even by like sliding into our DMs and being like, okay, I know the word count is scary. Hear me out. You don't have to read the whole thing. If you just read the first seven chapters, I'll let you get away with that. Um, which has happened a couple times. Listen. Uh, <laughs> Listen. Anyway, today today is a very joyful day of a celebration. Episode. A special episode because today is the Freya episode. We're going to be talking about Freya's debut book, which we are so excited about and so proud of her for. A Marvelous Light, which... As of today, what, how many days is it until it comes out, Freya? Once is the release date? In what country? Well, when we're recording, right now when we're recording. Oh, right now it's when in we're our recording. Future. We are two days away from the Australian release, <gasps> and yeah, I know, which is a little bit terrifying. And yeah. about let me think, nine days away from the mm. US release. Mm. Wonderful. And then like a month and a bit from the UK one because amazing. That's <laughs> I love publishing. In, that's randomly in December. <laughs> Sure, publishing. publishing, sure, why so not? Much. So by the time uh, you listen to this, dear listeners, this uh, will probably be in your past. Once again, the joyful time, unless you're English, what is linear time when you have a podcast? Um, yeah. <laughs> who knows? Who your knows? past, our future, unless you're English, unless you're Macy, in which it is I, actually. <laughs> I get American books. That's what I'm saying. Yes. That's and you've saying. also had this particular book for years. For a while. <laughs> right. For a while. We've read this book a time or two. Our future, your past, unless you're British, <laughs> unless you're Macy. It's Done. very simple. <laughs> what? I'm trying not to steal somebody's line. Whose line? But what have we been reading? Oh, you're trying to you're surface. trying to get us back to having oh, an I'm actual trying episode. To move the episode. I see how it this is. This is my last fucking job. Our last to chance to take somebody else's job on this podcast. Well, no, our second to last chance because we do have a, what we've been That's reading true. on episode 100. What have That's we been true. reading, fellow serpents? Before we start, <laughs> Thank you, any Alex. further gremlin behaviors? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, speaking of books we have had for a while, but have not gotten to just yet, uh, I read C.S. Paquette's new book. Ooh. Ooh. Your secret, your secret spouse of of, of mysterious slash doppelganger. Such there we go. Freya's, Freya's crush. Freya's author crush. <laughs> yeah. So C.S. Paquette has now turned to YA, and Dark Rise is the first book in a trilogy. 
it was very interesting reading it. You can see in some ways how the writing is quite different to mm-hmm. what it is in Captive Prince. Uh, it's a fairly, in some ways, a fairly straightforward, here is the young man called Will in England who discovers that he is a part of people who have been reborn to fight against the dark and there's the light and the dark and there's these chosen warriors and things like that. Uh, and then because it's C.S. Pacat, there are about six different twists that make you put the book down and go, what? That one of the twists I called very, very early. Um, and because I called it very early, I could see all the really clever hints that she was putting in all the way through, which I think would make it reward a reread. And there was one scene about two thirds of the way through where I was like, oh, here's all the id stuff from Captive Prince. And here's how <laughs> that's going to play out. And I'm really looking forward to book two now. Uh, so if you enjoy fantasy with fated enemies to lovers boyfriends, which surely you do. Check out uh-huh. this new trilogy. Macy, quick, do you have quick, a comment? Quick, quick, quick question. Is The Dark is Rising out of copyright or something? It's an homage. Like, it's a very deliberate reference. <laughs> uh, and it would have to be with a title the, like Dark Rising. Yeah, Rise. so the, in the book, and I think C.S. Picat's done some interviews where she talks about how this is very much um, referencing quite a lot of the fantasy books of her childhood that have this basic structure, uh, but digging into the idea of fate and destiny and why are the queer people the villains and if you are the Mm. villain who does that make you and yeah so there's a lot of interesting meta stuff going on in Mm -hmm. the book uh especially if you have read the dark is rising cool yeah Uh, and then after that i mainlined very fast the three t kingfisher paladin Ah. romances so the i think they're called like the saint of steel series so t kingfisher is ursula vernon uh, writing for grown-ups and these three books are definitely romances. So they are fantasy romances. Each three, each of the three books follows a different main character and their love interest based around these paladins whose god died. So they are now sort of left over and wandering around in the world, mostly serving as bodyguards for one of the other temples, uh, which is like lawyers who go out and solve problems in the community. And each of the books has its own very distinct plot adventure. Uh, which are by turns zany and very creepy. And I absolutely love the way T. Kingfisher writes romances. All of them have this great pining. They're really hot. And they're all starring people in their 30s who have careers and are tired. (laughs) (laughs) And occasionally a 20-something will like skip across the page and the the point of view character will go, oh, God. A child! (laughs) I remember having that much energy. (laughs) Like, and, you know, they have to sleep on the ground because they're on a quest and they wake up and are like, everything hurts. <laughs> oh, that so, is true, though. <laughs> yeah. Like, I had been saving this series because I knew I would love it. But the third one, Paladin's mm-hmm. Hope, came out recently. And I thought that was a perfect excuse to read all of them very fast. And I can tell they're going to become comfort rereads for me. Wonderful. Very good. Um. Meanwhile, let's see. I had one fanfic I wanted to mention reading in the past couple of weeks, which was a novel-length Nirvana in Fire polyamory negotiation mm. fic um, with a fairly tight focus on Jingyan's wife mm. mm-hmm. and how she negotiates a situation where Jingyan is absolutely fucking Mei Chang Su, who is married or about to marry Muni Wang. Um, and so there's just lots of negotiation and communication and very guarded, damaged people learning to open up 
to each other and kind of heal um, bullying Mei Chang Su into actually healing and not just yeeting himself onto the nearest fucking sword mm. like a dumbass. Mm. Well, so, you, you know I love polyamory with married people. So yes. how many thousand words is this, Mason? Oh, it's only, it's it's a reasonable length. It's uh, 160k. So it's like a normal novel. Okay. A normal um, novel. Okay. That's a, I feel like that's, that's a normal novel. When Macy, said, normal. When Macy I... said it's a reasonable length, I was like, mm, that could mean anything. No, no, like it's a normal novel sure. length. I did say it's novel length, not epic. It's called yes. That Ruthless Love by Al Harath. That sounds great. Um, and it's great. I have also been practicing my harp for 15 minutes every How's day. Harp going? And my neighbors are very tired of green sleeves. Yes. Um, <laughs> I see. <laughs> and I am turning into claws. It's a very different. I was say, do you have harp calluses? N- no. I don't think so. We'll have to find out. But mostly this past two weeks, rather than reading, I have been frantically plotting the necromancy book and then throwing my entire plot overboard and plotting it again. Mm. And this is very painful for mm. me, as dear listeners might have gathered from low these four years of listening me to me whine pathetically about how plot doesn't exist and is a conspiracy specifically to oppress me personally, mm. uh, which I, mm-hmm. I still believe to be true. Yes. Um, but yep. I, I now have Can confirm. plot, plot. <laughs> Listen, <yeah. laughs> well done, Macy. <laughs> OT3 plot for for the heist necromancy book. Now with bonus Henry VIII as Cthulhu. We love to hear it. We truly love to hear it. <laughs> I have been the most boring person in the world. My life has been just grown-up things, including oh, getting boo. quotes for new insulation on my house. Oh, uh, that's the that's the level of thing. boring that we are it's we're so at. Grown yeah, up. no, or, no, like sympathy, yeah. sympathy, adulting noises yeah. from this side. Like of the world. a lot of my reading lately has been like the websites of insulation oh, companies, <laughs> <laughs> which I feel I should report because it counts. It, I, yeah, no, that's I'm fair. I'm saying Are you it going counts. To come back with like a 400k romance novella about the bureaucracy of contractors in Chant Universe or something. I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, I did read a novella, which is uh, because I have been very carefully Victoria rationing Goddard, out, right? rationing out Victoria Goddard's <laughs> books. Uh, I read The Warrior of the Third Veil, which is the second of the Sisters of Ramapool trilogy. And it oh, is nice. just as badass and cool as the first. If you want to know more about them, dear listeners, I had an article come out <laughs> on tour.com, which is about Victoria Goddard's works. And um, like the my top five choices for like the best entry points into her, her universe. So uh, we will have the scribes link to that in the show notes. Go read it. I'm really, really proud of that article. And I am glad that everyone seems to be enjoying it. I remember it had, a, it, had a, it had a title, it had a name. You should be reading Victoria oh, yes. Goddard's novels or something like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just like very straightforward. Okay. It was not a creative, uh, like, I think that my original no, title it, was like a primer the for the Nine Worlds series. It's very dry. Mm-hmm. Um, but you should be reading Victoria Goddard's work. So please mm-hmm. go read my tour.com article about it. It's a good article. Thank you. Thank very you. persuasive. Uh should we then take some time to celebrate Freya's thing? 
Detective boyfriends. Detective boyfriends. It's time for Detective boyfriends. We're all having a dance party because we make great radio. Yeah, so great. You can dance with you us. You know we make great radio because we've done ninety nine episodes and surely we know yeah. how to make good radio by now. But and still and still we dance. Yes. For example, for example, nowadays we tell you when we're dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, <laughs> with our voices. Freya, tell us about your great book. All right. So this is quite, it's quite good to have a chance to do this because I feel like even if you have been listening from the very beginning, your Mm. knowledge of this book is probably comprehensive, but scattered Mm. because I have been talking (laughs) about it for a very long time, but I probably never actually sat down and done a full run through of what the pitch is and et cetera, et cetera. So now that I have been pitching it on various podcasts and panels and things for a while, I actually have a vaguely organized way of talking about it. Amazing. So, A Marvelous Night is the first book in the Last Binding trilogy. It is a queer historical fantasy novel about murder, magicians, and manor house parties. So that is the very short elevator pitch. But it stars Robin Blythe, who is accidentally named as the bureaucratic liaison in the English Public Service to a magical society that he did not actually know existed, (laughs) then discovers that his predecessor has disappeared, then gets a terrible curse puts on him, then starts having visions. He's having a very bad day. Uh, He's having a bad week. week. Honestly. And in order to solve all of that mess, he has to team up with his counterpart in the magical bureaucracy, Edwin Corsi, who does not like him and wants to be left alone with books. Very relatable. And, of course, they fall in love. And that is the pitch. And get beaten up by a hedge maze. They do. They, they... Which is the most important part. Yeah, the they do get beaten up by a hedge maze. Robin also gets beaten up by swans. There's a lot of beating up of Robin yes. in this book. Yes. 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 But to... And like lots of like mysterious illusion-faced yeah. people punch him a bunch. He's just very punchable. He, yeah, and I don't feel like that's his very, fault. He's kind of a jock like that. He's a sunshine himbo who believes in solving problems by punching them. Yeah. We respect And Robin. this book is about what happens when that stops working. I feel like the thing with Robin, though, also is that, like, he maybe thinks he's the type of jock to get through by punching things, and other people look at him and think that, but actually he's a lot more likely to ask you if you're feeling all right. Yes, mm. he does actually have quite a lot of emotional intelligence. He's just not... Yes, he's a good boy! Yeah. He's mostly used it to, like, get through social situations. So yes. he's, he's yeah, good at like, parties. we respect him. He's yes. very good at parties. Yeah. And one of the things that I really love with the way that you got away with starting this fantasy novel with a prologue. Yes, I Oh, did. by labeling it chapter one? By yes. labeling it chapter yes. one. <laughs> I noticed but, that as well. No, but specifically. Because I was like, I, was like I remember reading this in draft form. I remember when this, this actually a was a prologue. <laughs> but, but, the, but the thing that I wanted to point out was that um, you start with the murder mystery prologue, which is the victim of a murder who doesn't have enough information or puts the information across just badly enough that the reader is like, oh, fuck, I have no idea what's happening. And we then spend the rest of the book learning what happens. And Mm. it's just a really smart hook that you are, like, Freya steals from other genres like a magpie. She does. it's great. (laughs) Very (laughs) much so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But then I have to put them into the fantasy bucket. And which is why I sat down with my editor and my editor said, you can't have a prologue. And I said, but the prologue is the pre-credits murder mystery scene. And she said, that's fair. You can't call it a prologue. And I said, can we call it chapter one? And she said, sure. (laughs) 
So Why? that is now the structure of the entire, each of the books now has a chapter one, which is actually like a prologue. three pages long. But, yeah. but why? I don't, like, I don't understand why we are so... people pick it up ag- the shelf on the bookshop. The readers who know nothing about the book and see that word and have an allergic reaction and have to be taken to hospital. Okay. Yeah. It's I fine. I don't understand. Darling listeners, <laughs> you and me and everyone else listening will know. It's a prologue. It's a prologue. We're just calling it chapter one. Yes. Yes. But true, exactly as you said, Macy, that was the purpose of it, was to set up a mystery to give the readers some information that the main characters don't have, Mm. but also Mm -hmm. to set up a mystery that the main characters haven't encountered yet. Because as far as the main characters are concerned, they're just having a bad week. (laughs) As far as the reader is concerned, a murder has occurred and there's a conspiracy going on. And so that gets you going through the book while the main characters are catching up. I feel this might have been me who wrote this dot point here, but the inherent capital R romance of uncovering a deep, dark conspiracy together. Truly, is there anything more romantic than uncovering a deep, dark conspiracy together? I think not. Absolutely not. And that is what this episode is about. Yes. Yeah, and and part of it is because if there is a conspiracy, you can't trust anyone. Mm -hmm. And Mm. so you get put in a situation where... Ideally, the only person you can trust is the other person that you are right. detectiving with. Detect, detective, detecting, detecting, detecting with. Uh, but and depending on where you, depending on where you start your book or your story, you may then be not sure if you can also trust that person, which creates tension. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's not just that; it's it's the it's exactly that. It's, it's the forced vulnerability, right? It's the forced reliance and opening up uh, and it kind of makes you break down barriers that you otherwise might not be willing to so quickly. Right. Yes. It's the, there's only one bed trope of mystery. <laughs> but like intellectual. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's the forced proximity, which is what you mm-hmm. need for any romance to get going. Right. You have to have a reason why these two people who don't know or maybe don't like each other have to spend a lot of time together and right. be challenged together. Yeah. And, and also it it's it's it gives them something to work on together. Because mm-hmm. like I feel like like one of the best first dates that I've ever been on was when I like texted this boy and I was like, "Hey, do you want to come over to my house and help me plant some cherry trees?" And <laughs> we actually had a great time because we had something to be like working right. on together and like cooperating with. And that's right. kind of what like working on a murder mystery yeah, does yeah. for you like, as well. Yeah, like Edwin and Robin are going to forever like think of this entire debacle as their first date first date right (laughs) yeah well and you know the more uh, deep and dark and dangerous the conspiracy is it means you can put them in these extreme situations Mm. where you expose their strengths expose their weaknesses show how they react when they are under pressure and of course danger makeouts and danger bangs which are very (laughs) important parts of a romance that involves um some kind of mystery or suspense plot Put them in danger. You got eaten by a bush. Let's kiss about it. Exactly. Put them in danger. Get them out of danger. Oh my gosh, adrenaline rush. We're alive. This, this is this is a frequent problem in Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People just make out all the time in the street. Oh, we saw a snake. Oh, let's make out. <laughs> it's about the life affirmation. <laughs> oh no, a drop there. Quick, let's make oh, out. Let's make out. <laughs> anyway. Yes, life affirmation. Exactly. So... That was that was what was really fun about putting this book together was that I could use all of those delicious sort of danger and mm-hmm. mystery tropes mm. and use it to make the romance really intense. Yes. Because they don't spend that much time with each other. It takes place over like two weeks. 
Yeah. Freya, let me ask you a fun, just sort of like sidebar interview question, since this is the Freya book episode. Uh, yes, Alex. What is What's your favorite scene of this book? My favorite scene. Macy, Macy is doing really good radio by mouthing the word the sex scene. <laughs> The sex scene. I just mouthed, I can guess, but I was thinking Oh, it was about the guess. I can scene. guess. I like the magic sex scene. There is a sex scene in which magic is used in bed, which is very important to me. I don't think it's my favorite. <laughs> writing the hedge maze scene was my favorite mm. to write because it allowed me to do a little bit of horror writing. Mm. And I don't do much horror writing, but being allowed to play a little bit in that genre in that scene was really fun. Um, oh, the I liked writing the argument scenes. Mm-hmm. Like, especially, like, the big arguments where big secrets come to the fore and people have some very strong emotions about them because I love breakup scenes mm. in romance. <laughs> like, I know some people don't like that the traditional romance beats have Has this dark moment, breakup, whatever. Fucking love it. Like, <laughs> when I'm reading a romance, I don't always need it there. But when I'm writing a romance, I'm always, like, hanging out to be able to write a horrible, horrible fight. And then there And then heartbreak. You have to break the... Well, you have to break the characters open right. to let them heal, right? Yes. right? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, you can show, because of where it usually falls in the narrative, you can show that they now know each other well right. enough to yeah. read each other very well, yes. which is always yeah. a really powerful scene. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, uh, now I'm thinking about it, I really love the one I put in the second time through with, with writing Catalyst. No, you're mm. right. Those are, those are great yeah, fun. they are really fun. Because I forgot to put one the first time. And yeah. yeah. So I think my favorite, my favorite scene to reread is probably the mm-hmm. last sex scene. Mm. Um, but my favorite ones to write with the arguments and the hedge maze. Wonderful. <laughs> nice. Very nice. good. But speaking of murders and detecting ing-ing-ing-ing as ing-ing-ing-ing. We could just um, do ing-ing-ing for the rest of the, what, the other 40 minutes that we have. Every time you say the word, it has to gain another ing. Yeah. Darling listeners, Macy was attempting a smooth Sorry. transition. Macy should not leave her day I job. I just feel, no. I just feel like it's episode <laughs> okay. ninety nine. We should get the we gremlin party started early. That's that. I'm okay with that. We uh, we have earned the pizza we earned party it. at the end of time. It's going to be all of this episode um, and then all of episode one hundred. <laughs> Dear listeners, let's talk about the fucking fanfic. Sure, tentpole, let's do huh? that. Let's do it. Which I don't. Does it even have any fucking in it? No. No, it's rated teen. No, but detective boyfriends get together fanfic. Yes. It is the Guardian fanfic. If life was a movie, we'd have a better soundtrack than this, which begins with a brilliant example of the most classical meet cute trope, which is detective chasing a suspect bowls over the cute professor and ruins his paperwork. Yes, which I yep. respect classic so much. Classic, very well executed. Actual bruises happen. Just you know. Very, very, very good. Very high quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a AU, AAU help. This is an AU. There you go. In which rather than Guardian's quote unquote sci-fi setting full of magic um, and aliens, this is just the real world um, in which Detective Yunlan is trying with the help of his crew to track down some mysterious mag- mobsters who are killing people violently in his neighborhood. And Shenwei is just a mild-mannered professor um, who's trying to teach biology and getting hit on by his students all of the time and breaking his computer but, all of the time. But he also but he has a dark past. He has a dark past. <laughs> because, because when he was a kid, his psychopath older his psychopath twin brother 
um, had been involved in kidnapping the then police commissioner's son, amongst a lot of other stuff, baby Xiaoyun Lan. Uh, and so Shenwei rescues this baby and they hide together in a closet. And like, Shenwei experiences somebody being nice to him for the first time. For the and it first is super time. effective. <laughs> Uh, and and so, he imprints on this boy. He, like a duck. <laughs> like, like a, a tiny baby duck. And so, you know, 10 years later, after being bowled over by the cute police officer and then eventually figuring out who that is, Shen Wei decides that he is going to help. Yes. Just unilaterally is like, I can definitely insert myself into this police investigation. And not get myself with, arrested. I have the sole purpose of <laughs> I have helping to and preserving him. the main detective. Yeah. Yes. yes, my job. I have to protect him. And oh no, he likes his subordinates. I guess I have to protect all of his all subordinates of them. too. All of them. Yes. I will nobly take this upon myself. No one asked <laughs> me to do this. I'm not a professional, but I will do it because I imprinted on this man at age 10 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah. I thought it was it was a very nice uh, way of doing the past lives. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, thing without, yes. with, without using any magic. Yes, like yes, yes. Showing that you have a history with someone uh, and there's this sense of recognition in your gut that I know this person, mm-hmm. I'm meant to be with this person. And it was a very effective case fic, I thought. Like yeah. some, some case fics, you know, they're very much like the case is happening in the background and the romance is the main thing. But I was really, in, really invested in, mm-hmm. in how the, the detective story played mm. out in this one. Me too. And yes. like there there's a part in the middle where the first time that they kiss is because Shunwei has maneuvered them to be standing outside of a suspect's classroom uh, and is trying to make himself look suspicious by yes. kissing the police chief's yes. son. And I'm just yes. like, baby, like this, like it's the inverted kiss to avert suspicion. And I'm just like, yes, I love this so Kissing much. To attract suspicion. <laughs> yes. You're yes. all fucking idiots. You're yes. just it's really good. stupid. It executed the tropes very well, I thought. And uh-huh. it, with like a good amount of pacing. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's just Shunwei standing and going, what is this tingling feeling? <laughs> Sexual yeah. attraction then- for the first time <laughs> in my life. And this is a version of the detective boyfriends trope where mm-hmm. one of them is an actual detective yeah. and the other one just gets drawn in as a consultant. witness, which turns into like consultant yeah. question mark. Like you can see <laughs> this being consensual consultant. Non-consensual consultant. You can see this being like the pilot episode oh, of yeah. a procedural. Mm. Of like this is how of the bones. odd couple of detectives forms. This is how the first person becomes involved as part of this detective yeah. family. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to go off and have detective adventures. And, and then you have the series Big Bad introduced, which is Shenwei's brother, who would naturally yes. like last for the rest, at least the rest of the season, possibly mm-hmm. several seasons. <laughs> yeah, dear Galaxy Soup, please write us the rest of this season. <laughs> yes, right. Please, Galaxy Soup, come back. Yes. We would read more. Yes. Um, but like, this is not a million miles away from how the actual TV show do it with like consulting biology professor and part-time alien question mark because they're aliens. Yeah, yeah. Demons. The trope of a, de- of a detecting romantic partnership relies very heavily on loose interpretations of the word consultant. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh... The fact that they're allowed so often to just like wander in and like take part in things, even though they're not paid employees. How do most of them have that much time, by the way? Are you, do you have, well, no, it actually makes complete sense, Alex. It makes complete sense. Just assume that Shenwei has tenure. Okay. 
All right. All right. Sure. So I'm it's, like, you it's like it's like Tolkien who would try to make people stop going to his lectures yeah. so he didn't have to do any work at all. The the one time that I've seen this where it was like faintly plausible was um did you, either of you watch the TV show Castle? Castle? Yeah. Where like no. he's he's there for a reason. He's not just there to be a consultant. Like he's <laughs> also stupid reason. I, I mean, he, initially, yes, he's kind of a suspect <laughs> in the beginning. But like he's there to like research his novels, right? And right. they do make an effort to protect him and keep him out of harm's way. And like they put a bulletproof vest on him. And <laughs> he's a he's a mystery novelist. Freya, he's a mystery and he novelist. Basically, inserts mm. himself into a bunch of investigations because he. Is in a murder, like it's involved in he's, one in the first episode. Yeah, in the pilot episode, he's implicated in a murder because someone right. is doing a copycat of one of the murders from oh, yeah, his yeah, yeah, book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah. "Oh, this is interesting." <laughs> yeah, well, that's how the that's how the Peter Whimsy Harriet Vane partnership gets set up because Harriet Vane is a mystery writer, mm. and they meet when she gets framed for poisoning her lover. Amazing! Mm. I really and, do need to read that. And books. she's like on trial and probably going to be executed, and he has to like prove her innocence but it gets really complicated when he falls instantly in love with her she's like <laughs> stop declaring your feelings go and solve the case yeah. i'm gonna get hanged he's like but i'm in love oh god maybe i should drop the case she's like no don't drop the case <laughs> get me out of prison and then the subsequent books with harriet like she like stumbles across murders and while she's off on like a writing retreat trying to get <laughs> trying to finish her book harriet vane is one of my favorite fictional characters she's amazing, amazing. but yeah we should cover the next tentpole, which doesn't have boyfriends. Yes, it because it has husbands, in fact. Husbands! So, very thin <laughs> distinction <laughs> there. Uh, the next tentpole is Of Dragon's Feasts and Murders by Aliette de Baudard. Uh, and this was a later book in a series, right? Yes. yes. Um, yeah, I have not read like the, the like... previous ones, but I enjoyed this one and i felt a little bit like i was dropped in the middle but i still like didn't have a problem like picking up the world building she did a really good job of like including mm. everything well i mean the, the previous trilogy has so many characters yeah. and these two are just like one of the major threads that sort of goes nice. through the trilogy and then this is a novella that's just like let's play with everyone's favorite characters yes for a novella yes. um yeah. so the Detective husbands are the fallen angel Asmodeus and the dragon prince. And I apologize, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. It's either Tuan or Thuan. Uh, it is a Vietnamese name. Uh, and they are visiting Thuan's family for Vietnamese New Year. And uh, while they're there, obviously there's like the tension of like, oh, visiting family and like family mm -hmm. holidays. You know how visiting family for family holidays. But also when when your great aunt is the emperor. Also when yeah, your so great aunt is the emperor. Importantly, going home for the holidays is going to the court of the dragon empress. Right. Because Tuan <laughs> is a dragon. Yes. And also a member of the royal family. Yes. And when he and Asmodeus got married, it was a diplomatic Dang. marriage of convenience, mm. which was amazing. So, obviously, stress levels are high, as you might expect, uh, and stress levels only get more high when they discover murder, uh, and they go through all of the the beats of the the solving a murder. They investigate the clues and they interview witnesses, and one of them gets kidnapped and has to be yes. rescued. Uh, a lot happens in a novella. A lot happens oh, yeah. in it for a novella. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, mm. So yes, just like a beat-for-beat beat kind of perfect example of the the detective murder mystery in a very short amount of space. I was very impressed mm. with it. 
And I found it very interesting that in some ways, because this is an established relationship, the the mystery is less to draw them together and it almost more forces them apart, right? They come into mm. conflict with each other within the relationship because of how they choose to approach this investigation. One of them saying, well, this is not our problem. We should get out of here before all hell breaks loose. Right. And the um, other saying, actually, no. I, actually, this is, this is my family. This I is don't my want family. them all dead, actually. Right. And <laughs> yeah. If, and Maurice if, is like, why not? Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of shit, babe. <laughs> yeah. And one, one of the things yeah. that I love about the way that Elliot de Bedard does uh, mysteries, and a lot of her novellas are mysteries, mm-hmm. is that the people solving the mysteries often are even just as complicated in terms of their personalities mm-hmm. and their motives as the people who are eventually found to be guilty of the murders. Asmodeus is a very stabby person. Yeah. Like, there are, like, when, when a secret society is trying to distract the, the detective husbands, they're like, here is a criminal. Would you like to torture them to death? We hear you enjoy that. <laughs> and Asmodeus is like, mm, tempting. But I think, like, you know, he he's someone who does not actually have a lot of patience for the detecting side of things. Not, he not doesn't really. He is the ruthless one and Tuan is the bookish one, as they say in it. And I think that is a really good set of foils, like a good team to have, mm. is to have somebody whose main approach is, can I stab it? Mm. And somebody's main, whose main approach is, can I find the answer in a book somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> Which is very much what I relied on, writing a marvellous line. Yes. I feel like that's an interesting thing you got also in the fanfic because they have an actual detecting team with like a rookie and a muscle and a smart computer dude and a science apprentice. Um, And so that Mm. was really fun. Like Mm. it's sometimes fun to have not stranded your main couple having to rely on only each other. Sometimes it's nice to give them help. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about then why that is so romantic to have that. Is it just about the balance? Is there, there's something else? Like, why is it, why does it work so well to have these two foils set up? Well, I think any good romance, you have to be able to describe them as foils Mm. in Mm. some way. Like, if they are exactly the same type of person, then it is less interesting. Because the whole idea of a romance is that they are fulfilling some kind of need that the other one has Mm, not that mm. they are complete only with the other person but that there is something about the person that they are falling in love with that either brings them out of themselves or helps them to be more themselves in a really good way Mm -hmm. Um, and so if you think about the kind of foils that make up a good detective duo and this is why it is such a good romance basis is that yes you often have the careful studious one and the reckless one so sometimes you do need to take a step back and do some research to solve a clue and sometimes for plot you need someone to just run in and start creating mess yeah because yeah. mess makes for really good plot yeah yeah yep. and sometimes you want and sometimes you want to have that tension of somebody with a really strong moral compass and a really strong reason for this is why we have to seek justice or i want to help my family and then you have somebody who's maybe a little bit more amoral who's coming at it from a more intellectual perspective and that creates good interpersonal tension along the way of solving the mystery. Mm. And quite often, I think, especially in these really classic detective duos, you then get the main detective and the one who serves a sort of secondary purpose. So maybe mm. a consultant, but maybe also like a bodyguard mm-hmm. or a chronicler. So the and, Watson. You know, the Watson, yeah. So the Watson is the chronicler, but he is kind of also becomes consultant E and that he has specialised areas of knowledge in medicine. Uh, and he's also the one with like the military background. 
Well, it's almost like... So he's kind of all three at once. <laughs> so, so in a romance and in problem solving in general, it is helpful to have people with different ideas who can argue productively. Yeah. Right? Mm. Um, and I think with, with the detecting, you want them to have... It, it's how you strengthen your theories and come up with new ideas as you spark off each other. In a romance, however, you're trying to grow as people. You're trying to get them to result, to, to reveal wounds and then resolve their wounds. And so you need them to be slightly at counterpoint to each other in order to hmm. have that mm. argument, yep. that, that conflict. Mm. Right? And purely conflict from a fiction central. point of view, it's kind of boring just being in That's one person's true. head while they deduce things on their own. Yeah. If you make it dialogue, if you make it, what if this? Oh, there's the hole in that. What if this? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Like mm-hmm. that, that is much more engaging than just one person scurrying around, ticking along by themselves. Right, 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 right. Hmm. You seemed like you were having a realization, Alex. Yes, I was having a realization that uh, Golden Iron is also a detective boyfriend's book. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Did you not notice? Well, I mean, I sort of like, I don't think I noticed it with the top of my head. Like consciously, I think, because right, 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 right. You, I think because you have also given them a lot of more support stuff, right? And also, like it's I was coming at, at it primarily from like this is a fealty book about fealty. Oh, I'd better give them something to do, right? Mm. And so yeah, I was thinking of it primarily as the other thing rather than like, oh no, this is structured as a detective boyfriend's book. I mean, Which I mean, is, to a certain extent, yeah. the, the fantasy plot in my trilogy is just so that all three romance couples have something to do. Sure, you need to give them <laughs> Let's a hobby. Be yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a mood. Mm. That's a mood. Yep. Should so oh. on the on the subject then, just to keep moving us along, if that is all right. Um, when we are writing like detective boyfriends, are we all just living in the shadow of Arthur Conan Doyle? Like he kind of he was kind of the trope inventor, was he not? I mean, I don't I, mean, I don't think like there's something so fund fundamental about the Watson and, Sh- and yeah. Sherlock Holmes pairing. Yeah. Like, I think it's sort of the basis for so many things can, you know, even if they're not directly referencing it or directly derived from it, have the shadow of that mm, archetypal right. relationship. And it. It, it, it's, it's truly fascinating trying to, like, dig through anything on modern TV with detective partnerships in and see how the roots come back. It's like we were we were laughing beforehand before the episode listeners about House MD and how that is a Sherlock AU. Okay. Oh it is. Absolutely. Right? Like deliberately. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very no. they're, they're deliberately down to like the a lot of the references they make, the the names of the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yep. like the Angel of Crows, which Freya mentioned the other week. Mm, yep. And Sherlock Wingfick. Yeah. Sherlock Wingfick. What's what's so up with that? Um I you know, what is it? What is it about the two of them? But I think, but you know, there's been a lot of a great tradition now of procedurals, especially mm. on television, but also in books, realizing that if you have a good central couple whose dynamic has got good chemistry and one of at least one of those foil relationships mm-hmm. in it, then you can just, then really the mysteries are just giving those two people something to do and you can drag out a relationship for a really long time, which is right. great. But. And it's a certain degree of just competence porn, right? Is watching mm. people be really good at a thing that you think is hard. Yeah. You're meant to think that solving mysteries is hard. And it is, but the trick is that everybody writes them backwards. Doctor, mm. Doctor Who also does this. Doctor Who is yeah. also drawing on this because the Doctor is the Sherlock character and then the companion is Watson. the Watson, right? And they run around like... 
basically solving mysteries and the doctor gets mm. to be like super smart and amazing and the companion gets to say wow you're so cool and help but to make him versa. more human but also help to make him more human mm. yeah mm. and i think one of the, you're right about competency i think one of the joys of a romance and a really good fundamental relationship is that they get to see one another being competent right. stuff mm. and go oh yes you cracked the case oh yeah that was a brilliant breakthrough and then they get to rescue each other yeah. So you get the competency porn and you get like the hurt comfort and the, oh no, the person I care about is in trouble because you're by your very nature dealing with dangerous people. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. No, that mm. makes sense. Yeah. It makes the feelings more like intense and immediate because the stakes are higher. Yep. Mm. Yeah. And I think and I like, I like this stuff point that was this yours, Macy, the joy of using the case fic engine as a delivery vector for <laughs> relationship growth. Which yeah. I totally agree with. It is. It's a vector. It's a way of, if, if what you care about is exploring the relationship, then, you know, giving them the mystery to solve means you can throw in whatever you want in order to strengthen or test the relationship mm. bond there. Right. And mm. I was thinking about this a ton um, as I was reading your book. And because I've also been reading uh, Jen's third book at the moment as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jen is just very, very good at what she writes. Um, but I was thinking about how much more space you have to explore interpersonal dynamics when you are untangling a mystery versus when you're solving the world when you're there, 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 versus when you're saving the world mm. right mm. so when you have to punch a dragon in the face you're not really getting much into each other's philosophy on life you know <laughs> but also i think the stakes matter like when you when the stakes are punch a dragon save the world right mm -hmm. romantic stuff almost feels like any downtime we have like we shouldn't have this downtime like mm. nothing is as important as saving the world mm -hmm. whereas if your job like your day-to-day -day career is solving a mystery or the mystery is maybe a little bit smaller or you're not quite sure how big it is mm -hmm. yet um then the beats of romance can have equal weight sure. in terms of stakes yeah which i think makes a big difference yeah that yeah we, when it's like i might need to save your life or possibly a victim's life but i don't need to save mm. the planet earth yeah. And like, and, you know, to use, again, Captive Prince as an example, mm. it's not really detective boyfriends, but the reason it works is because, yes, the stakes are fates of nations, but the romance between them has the same stakes. Right. Be because right. they are the relative princes and kings of their kingdoms and, you know, their tragic backstory is related to the relationship mm -hmm. between nations mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it works mm -hmm. because the stakes of their relationship are so high yes if so, they were so the, if the stakes, stakes are were still fates of yeah. nation yeah yeah they match stakes which i think is right. important because yeah right because if you're yeah. writing a romance romance with a capital r you need to have the impediment and if you're writing a romance that is also something else you want the impediment to tie in with the something else that the book is so it does need to be mm. on that same scale right no you're you're, you're right right mm. and i think what you you, you asked the Houston here about the difference between a conspiracy and a mystery and i think the reason conspiracy can work well is because you can have small people like small cogs caught up in a larger mm. picture mm -hmm. um, and so for them the romance can be like a a grounding point like something that is the most important to them as they are caught up in a larger picture i do think it's fun also um because there's a big overlap between a mystery and a conspiracy uh, yes. right but mm. if i'm trying to figure out where i personally where i personally draw the line it's i guess that a mystery you see on the page roughly the size of it you're like this person is dead by the end of the book i will have solved why this person is dead if it is a conspiracy, though, it's this person is dead. By the end of the book, I will have found 
a group of 12 people trying to overthrow the kingdom. Sure. Mm, because think, yeah. of unpicking the threads of why mm. this person see, is for, dead. Yeah, see, for me, a mystery is much more who, mm. and a conspiracy is much more about the why. Mm. With the implication that the why will in- expose a larger picture, well, I, not just one interpersonal com- conflict. Right. I think that like that you get the who as well, kind of with the mystery. You get the why as well. Oh yeah, the, the why is important in a mystery. But I would expect, uh, like with a base, a murder mystery, a detective story, mm. the why may just be a small interpersonal thing. Mm-hmm. But a conspiracy, the why is going to have larger stakes and right. larger implications. Right. And I think so. Freya book is almost as much conspiracy as it is a mystery. And I, I was thinking of a mm. couple of other sci-fi examples, actually, fairly recently. Books like uh, Winter's Orbit or A Memory Called yes. Empire, right? Which mm, which that, deal that. with this kind of get caught up and then you have to unpick the conspiracy to even save your own life. Right. Mm. And A Memory Called Empire does the same thing that The Marvelous Night does, which is a very common way to kick off a conspiracy murder, <laughs> a conspiracy mystery, which yes. is... The per- I have been sent here to replace somebody who is now missing what happened to them. Yes, like I love that. At least one of the Volkosian books does that as well. Yes, the bureaucrat previously known as me. <laughs> Was that yes. yep. Komar? I think so. There's a couple of them that are sort of like yeah. that. It's very much like somebody, yeah, somebody in this society, this machine has gone missing. Vanished. Look at why. Yeah. Yeah, but, and I think like, mm. and this might also just be my tastes as well, though. With the case fic engine, um, I really like couples who have an intellectual connection as well, mm. right? And I think that showing off to solve a mystery and having them be impressed by how the other one thinks, yes, it's just really nice. Yeah. I just like it, it is really nice because none of us are allosexual on this podcast, um, <laughs> <laughs> and so. Yeah. Brains are nice. It's nice to be able to have conversations that are interesting with the person you're involved with. Yeah, like Mm. brains are sexy when they do brain things. I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) And I think that's, yep. And that's why I like, uh, this is a good segue to our next thing, which Mm. is about um, the, the slow burn detective partner romances. So I think for me, one of the examples of this genre that I probably imprinted on quite hard and that I think does influence and inform the romance in a marvelous light is bones. Mm, oh yes. Bones. Yes, yes. Which oh, I bones. loved the central relationship in bones. <laughs> yes. Like and you can I kind see of see echoes see of it in a marvelous light in that you've got one who's much more about the research and the data and you know, wanting to read the books or be in the lab. Yeah. Like, if this was a modern AU, Edwin would be the one in the lab. Oh, yes. I can and see And every it. time he had to be Dreya into the field, he would complain extremely about it. Whereas Robin would be the one wandering around, flashing his badge, being charming to people. Wearing like his sunglasses. Through, wearing his sunglasses, yeah. getting his getting information through, um, you know, just being a generally good at socializing kind so, of person. So, so dear listeners... Uh, once you have bought and consumed a marvelous light, please send Alex and I, but not Freya, fanfic AUs of a marvelous light with these two as forensic detectives, and Freya yes. will not look at it at all. I will not yes. look at them, but I'll be very glad but to know that Alex and I will be exceedingly delighted. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. we will. Actually, I second yeah. that. Please, yeah. please send me all of the marvelous <laughs> yeah. light fanfic that you write. Yes. Thank you. Yes, thank yeah. you. But yeah, and I think this is. Oh, sorry, Macy. No, I'm you going to derail us. Feelings. If I, if you let me do this, I will derail us. So if you have something oh, relevant, no, I want to just. I, I will finish my point about Go slow burn romances, uh, which is that the nature of procedural television and long arc television mm, yes. means that you can do a real slow burn. You can do those challenges to the relationship. Yes. 
the you know, you can have a really gradual build up of things like you know oh it's the season finale let's put one of them in danger and the other one will inch closer to realizing their feelings <laughs> and the whole way through you can do competency porn leverage you know, and people like this. Like, there's definitely a huge market for a you know a central uh, pair of people mm-hmm. who are solving mm-hmm. mysteries together with good chemistry, like the X Files. Like, yeah, right, 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 is right, a right, really right. classic one. Macy. <laughs> so here is where I ask if you two will give me as long slow burn detective boyfriends TV Hannibal. Yes. Yeah. Obviously. Murder boyfriends. I love them. Murder They're boyfriends. The they Why don't so much they solve mysteries as commit mysteries. Yeah, they commit like mysteries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like Elliot's book in that one of them is just as stabby as most murderers out there. Yeah. I feel like Hannibal would resent get... being called stabby. You know, he doesn't stab, he carves. He carves. He carves. Why yeah. why was it a question that we might not give you that one, Macy? Because they're not solving mysteries, are they? They are. Yeah, well, mostly like ones that he killed, or he runs off and kills the person who did it before they can get to them. Well, it's true. Like Hannibal <laughs> itself, like the this, the um the structure is a little different. But the whole point of, of Hannibal sure. Lecter is that he is a consulting serial <laughs> consulting, <Yeah>. consulting cannibal. Consulting. <laughs> He's a consulting cannibal. Yeah. Uh, I love him. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the other format that I think lends itself to this sort of ro- slow burn romance is uh, urban fantasy mm, book series, mm. which are very frequently structured around episode of the week, like mystery or monster of the week. And and also very frequently have uh, a primary on and off or sort of slow burn mm-hmm. love interest for the main character. Mm-hmm. I was thinking through detective shows that I really love. Uh, and one of them was, so we titled this episode, dear listeners, you will notice Detective Boyfriends. All of our examples are Detective Boyfriends. This is not nearly as common with girlfriends. Um, and so I was thinking of the show Rosemary and Time, which I don't know if either of you have come across. Mm-mm. But the thing is, no, they're just best friends. They don't really have mm-hmm. chemistry. And I don't know, it's a funny thing. But I was also thinking about the show Poirot. And then I was thinking, mm-hmm. has anyone ever tried to ship Poirot? Oh, probably. There's a whole internet out there. There's a whole internet out there. Of course, someone has tried. Mm-hmm. I don't know the if they the succeeded. Thing with, the thing with Poirot, though, is that the satisf- he is one of those few characters where the satisfaction is all in just watching right. him work by himself. Uh, yeah. right. If he had a foil, he wouldn't need to gather everybody into a room at the end <laughs> and be like, now we're all going to listen to me monologue about how clever I am. Because we would have seen right. the cleverness bouncing off things. Like, it's just a different style it is. of detecting. And it's just mm. super interesting to me how different it is to anything you see today. Because I couldn't imagine a similar creature today, you know? Mm. We'd get annoyed. They'd be too smug somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, there are still quite a lot of TV shows, unfortunately, that are built around the idea of there's this one white guy and mm. he's brilliant. That's true, but uh, and I think a lot of think... superhero shows are kind of filling that niche now. Mm, but they, are, but I think they have also recognised that what people want is a good ensemble yeah. around yes. that person, yeah. like yes. a good sort of you know snarky found family ensemble thing. So if you're gonna if you're gonna build a show around one person, you have to give them a good grounded ensemble for people to care about. Mm. Basically, mm. yeah, you're making me think of Hinterlands, which is a Welsh detective show that sort of has that fancy detective from London gets kicked out for disgrace and has to go to small town Wales. And you're right, it's all about 
the people around him. It's just that he doesn't have a partner per se. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh, actually, Hot Fuzz oh. is the formation of a detective boyfriend. Oh. Because it starts with like one central guy who thinks of himself as the main character and goes out and does detectiving, and along the course of his murder, well, his mystery solving, uh, discovers that he actually does have a foil slash best friend. Aww. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and it turns into a buddy cop. That's yeah. cute. Yeah. God, I love Hot Fuzz. I should. That's watch that a again. fun movie. I have mm. a question for Freya in your yes. magpie guise. Mm, yes. I was wondering. We've talked a lot about mystery romances, and mm-hmm. you do a lot of genre fusion romances. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on other kinds of plot engines or fusions that work really well as romance vectors. Hmm. So I think if you went up to the average capital R romance reader mm-hmm. and said sort of mystery romance, it would be less of a recognisable subgenre okay. than something like romantic suspense. Huh. So romantic suspense is ones like a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, people might be like an FBI agent and someone that they're trying to protect or two people who get caught up in an action conspiracy. Um, I think like some mafia romance is probably um, romantic suspense as well. Like there is you, there's always a higher stake adventure, usually some kind of uh, deadly threat going on. Um, Cozy mysteries with like cozy mysteries, can have romance in them Mm -hmm. like a lot of them would have a romance some of them don't um but i think if you're looking at and there and there are people like um sherry thomas's lady sherlock series Mm. which are historical mysteries with a slow burn romance in them so sherry thomas is a romance writer but the lady sherlock books are not romances Hmm. because they don't follow the beats and they haven't got a happy ever after for the main couple Hmm. but the main couple are having a very slow burn getting together across the whole series, which is much more like an urban fantasy series. Mm. It just happens to be set in Victorian England. Mm. But I think it does work really well for romance because of as long as you've got that something for them to do (laughs) and deadly peril, like that's a perfect combination Mm -hmm. because it means you can do someone rescuing the other. You can do them realizing how much they care about the other person because they're in danger you can do oh you are wounded let me nurse you back to health you know let me tie up your arm you can do the post-adrenaline danger bang (laughs) you know there's so much you can do with danger in a romance well then and then we can have them be injured as they must be in order to have sex on page in a freya book Mm, exactly that's true in a freya book people don't get to have sex unless they are injured bleeding is not required but it is encouraged i like causing injuries And I like sex scenes. And they just, unfortunately, due to the beats of a story, often happen at the same time. We will never stop teasing you about this. We will never stop teasing you. I have a further question for Freya. How is it that nobody has gotten injured during a sex scene yet? Well, I mean, you know, it's possible, but also it kind of throws you out of the sex scene. Yes. Like, it would make for, like, a fun, like, a fun thing to happen, but it depends what you're doing with that sex scene. Mm -hmm. Because if the sex scene is there to heighten tension then you kind of want a good flow sure. in it that an injury during sex would it would be kind of it would work if you had the sex scene towards the beginning where they hadn't resolved it yet and so you it's like that kind of tease and so like they're yeah, almost there they're making co- out they're getting hot and heavy event. right and then yeah. someone gets their dick broken and they yeah. have to stop <laughs> okay yes, well that's true we- Let's define injury, because there are also 
Like, you can break skin insects on purpose and have that be fun for everyone, too. I, but, by by mm-hmm. injury, I'm saying something that is going to impede your ability to continue with the sex. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I think that what we're saying think... already, though, is that in Freya's books, injury <laughs> does not impede sex. No. No, but they, well. Okay. <laughs> I, can, I, I can see it having a place, but I think it would have to be a relatively, either a relatively light-hearted <laughs> book. Sure. Or it would be quite difficult to pull off. Yep. Yeah, there we go, Freya. There's a dare for mm. you. Oh, I mean, mm. people do things like um, like paranormals and things like that would do. Oh, yes. oh, no, I accidentally hurt my partner because of my super strength or whatever, you know. And so that that definitely is a way of increasing angst yeah. and creating a creating a, an impediment because then that person is like, oh, I cannot possibly have sex with you again. I what am if I vampire. Accidentally... <laughs> <laughs> what if I accidentally drain your life? Oh, no. <laughs> Sure. I might ascend and become an immortal. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Let's say we're just talking around Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> we, we are all thinking of Twilight like, in this example. Never for how many hundreds of years? Never? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Shall we get That's back fine. to talking about detective boyfriends? Yes, let's do that. Can we talk about KJ Charles? I can we please? you tell us about KJ Charles? Please, can we talk about KJ Charles? Well, I was having a think about which of my favorite KJ Charles's are best examples mm. of detective boyfriends. And I think the most classic one is The Will Darling Adventures. Mm. So those three books are very pulpy. Although neither of them is a detective, they are very much put into the same kind of, oh, well, we're in danger and there's a conspiracy and we have to solve it mm. to get ourselves out of danger. Technically, it is kind of Kim's job in that because Kim is a spy. So he does actually have to help, like, uncover conspiracies as his career, and then Will gets drawn in as Puncher versus... No, hang on, let me say that again. Will gets drawn in as the person who stabs people, slash, you know, unwittingly caught up in things and has to get himself out again. Mm. I'm having some thoughts about why John le Carre or, like, Bond in general is never a good vector for romance, mostly because it's not a romance if they die. Um, but continue. <laughs> no, it's not a... Yeah, and, it, yeah. and James, Bond can't, James Bond can't be a vector for romance because the entire series is so solipsistically about Oh, yeah, about no, no. Him. I mean, right. not even Bond specifically, but, like, the genre of spy novels. You could have a really cool... Mm rival fighting spies across yeah. multiple and there books are, like are. some romantic suspense with spies oh, is fun. a definite genre but i think realistic spy fiction is just too depressing <laughs> That's right 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 but there was that one that we mm. read as well with the manor house mystery yes think of england yes. so good uh-huh. so good and that's very much like two people against the world stuck in a manor house full of terrible people <laughs> One of them, again, like the most of them are go in trying to solve a mystery. Mm-hmm. And then they discover that they're kind of the same mystery and they have to work together. And that has blowjobs to avoid suspicion, which is a that's, it's, that's, just yeah. spot on Perfect. use of the trope. Absolutely. Perfect. But you're also making and, me think of that scene in Doctor Who where Donna and the Doctor spot each other across an office that they're spying on. And they're like, oh, yes. You. And now you're making me think of that scene. with these two. Like, you're detecting, yeah. but I'm detecting. What are you <laughs> detecting? <laughs> And, and, like, K.J. Charles is just so good at a foil. Yeah, like she Like, both is. the Will Darling Adventures and Think of England have the, like, straightforward stabby one and the slippery spy one. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yes. Yep. Yes, yep. I've got to have a Slytherin and a Gryffindor to be mad at each other about their terrible ethics. True, about, Yeah, exactly. and about their, their, the way that their approaches to problems don't mesh. Yep, 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 yep. yep. I yep. want more Hufflepuffs. Okay, can I recommend a series to you, Macy? Oh? 
Green Wing and Dart by Victoria Goddard. Detectives? Detective Hufflepuff? Detectives. Yeah. Detective. Well, detective best friends, not detective boyfriends, but yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it is full of Hufflepuffs and good boys. Are they both Hufflepuffs or is there like a one that is slightly more? That's a good question. That is a good question. Um, I would say that the main character, Jemis, absolutely is a Hufflepuff. Hmm. The other one, uh, Mr. Dart, I am going to have to think about that. I feel like he is probably more of a Gryffindor. That's good. We like to have like some we contrast. Do, I'm more yeah, we do that, like, like to have a little bit. A lot of the times you have lots of Gryffindors, lots of, and then the foil is normally either a sneaky Slytherin or a yeah. bookish Ravenclaw, but you don't get a ton mm. of just plodding along. Yeah, uh, yeah. In the well, actually, now I'm thinking about it. No, no, no. Jemis is more of a Gryffindor. What is Mr. Dart then? I'm going to have to take this to the Discord server and like have, <laughs> a, whole, <laughs> have a whole discussion about later it. later on Twitter. But I see that we wanted to name drop a few more things in the last few minutes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, I wanted to name drop the entire <laughs> sub-genre of Harry Draco fanfiction yes. where one or both of them are auras. Because you have in that case a canonical career where part of the job is being a detective essentially was it episode like 33 or 34 that we did police that we had a harry draco case fix yes yeah yeah we did procedurals there we go and yes exactly and I think those. that's quite common because you have it set up that harry wants to be an aura and we know and that draco is his foil yeah exactly and and so there's this huge range of fix where harry has to solve a mystery in some unrandom magical like subculture or industry mm-hmm. and then Draco is one of 70 million different, like, random magical careers who then either becomes witness, victim, or consultant, depending on the story. Mm-hmm. And I know you were thinking about having us read A Dead Gin in Cairo, right, Freya? That is Detective Girlfriends. Well, it is mm. a detective girl who acquires a girlfriend <laughs> during the story. And then I was asking Alex whether good omens counts I here. feel like it does. I feel what like it does. What are they detecting? They're detecting where the Antichrist went. Okay, a kidnapping. That's true. That's that, true. That a very, there's a very concrete mystery, but they are also, like Edwin and Robin, caught up in a conspiracy that's bigger than both right. of them. Right, right, right. It's also kind <laughs> of, actually, I think that what they meant to do was to write a spy novel. Because mm. it's the two spies from opposite sides sure. who have it's, like it's formed. Russia oh yeah, like there's a lot yeah. of yeah. there's a lot of Lacare like lampshading about right. the meetings in the in, in the, the park with the yeah. ducks. Right, yep. right, yep. right, right. Yeah, and the newspaper. So, yes, it's anyway, doing a lot of things. Lots of detective boyfriends. Lots of detective boyfriends. Mm-hmm. Dear listeners, thank you for joining us for the last episode that required tentpole readings. We are yes. now free from homework, but we are not <laughs> free from answering your questions, which we will be doing next time. Hello everybody, thanks for joining us for this penultimate episode of Be The Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. I feel like this podcast is in many ways the half-sibling of A Marvelous Light, as the past four years have been the years of drafting it, revising it, going on submission with it, waiting the long, long months before publication, and now celebrating its release. So I did want to say thank you so much to all the listeners who've attended launch events, supported me by buying the book, reviewed it, tweeted about it, taken pictures of it. Honestly, all your enthusiasm means the world to me. So I can only hope this particular pair of detective boyfriends brings you half as much joy. And now, for the next and last episode, two weeks hence on December 1st, 
I hope you have a long car ride or a deep, thorough spring cleaning of the house planned. Something that will let you pop your earbuds in, or make the neighbours blush, we won't judge, and just get settled in for a nice double-length farewell. That's right, it is our centenary episode, episode 100, Super Stravaganza. We'll be answering your questions, reminiscing, and maybe playing some silly games. Despite the fact that we record in my mornings, I might also have a drink in hand. No tent poles, no pre-reading, just enjoy. Despite everything coming to a close, we do still welcome questions, comments, and breathless adulations. So if you wish, you can get in touch with us at serpentcast at gmail.com or at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr. And do still consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes if you haven't already, so that new listeners can find us and gorge themselves on the backlist. And by the way, excellent detective work today. You deserve a pint, or possibly a pipe. <laughs>